to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 126, recorded May 30th, 2013. So we should have a short one for this week because we're covering Deep Space Nine, Terok Nor number zero, and the Next Generation Deep Space Nine crossover number four. Right, only two comics. So we and oh, go ahead. Oh, and just Tarek Noor is just just a little longer than a regular comic. Not not really, you know, an annual size by any stretch. Right. Which when we planned out our schedule, we thought it was going to be forty-eight pages. So we only we're going to cover two books this week, and we ended up getting just two regular sized issues for the most part. Right. So, so we figured we'd make up the time gap by talking about that fact over and over and over again. Indeed. So the reason why this episode might be a little shorter. <laughs> you might notice. No, 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 uh, please, please don't keep, keep listening. Okay. So this is our 62nd 90s episode, so we're really blasting through the 90s. But uh, we're only up to 1994, so we still got a lot of 90s to go. There you go. A lot of 90s goodness. And we're going to wrap up the crossover series. So the fourth one we're going to do, going to find out what happened on the other side of the wormhole to Riker and his team. Indeed we will. Yep. All right. Well, was that your segue into getting on with it, sir? I thought maybe, unless there was some bits of business you wanted to mention. (laughs) Uh, No business. Okay. All right. So this one is entitled The Enemy Unseen. And it is written by Michael Jan Friedman. Co-plotter is Mike W. Barr. Gordon Purcell is the penciler. Terry Pallet is the inker. The letterers, there's two of them, is Chris Elapolis and Bill Oakley. The colorist is Rick Taylor. Color separations by Digital Chameleon. Margaret Clark and Mark Pansia are the editors. Issue number four of the miniseries is actually issue number two, produced by DC Comics, just to make things super confusing. The cover, and I wrote this, and I want you to just close your eyes and and visualize it. Unless you're driving, then just uh, visualize it without the closing of the eyes. All right. So picture the time tunnel from the opening of the Tom Baker Doctor Who. That's the fourth Doctor. All right. You see it in your mind? It's all blue and sparkly and stuff. All right. So remember how the diamond logo of Doctor Who appears on screen and then moves away through the tunnel and eventually just disappears? Okay. So now that you have that... Freeze that little diamond shape halfway down the time tunnel, and then replace the logo with headshots of Picard, Riker, Kira, Dax, Data, the Enterprise D, a runabout, and a wagon wheel that might be the top of Deep Space Nine. I'm not quite sure, but let's just go with wagon wheel. So once you have all that imagined, then you have an idea of what this, uh, what I think is an amazing cover looks like. Um, Perhaps the best of the four, in my opinion. Even though I made light of it, I really like this one. The issue starts off pretty much where issue three left off. So Odo, Troy, and Data are being held at Phaser Point by some aliens. They were caught red-handed trying to save the Admiral and his team. The Admiral can be seen getting up, so the blast that he took in the last issue was not fatal after all. The aliens demand that they throw down their weapons which they do, but Data is able to set one to overload, and it explodes soon after hitting the floor. A fight ensues, with Odo taking the form of a large tentacle monster. Back on the station, O'Brien and Jordy are informing Picard and Sisko of their findings. They now know that the reason the wormhole is acting up is that there is a wave being generated from each side of the wormhole. And where the beams meet in the middle, it's causing the disruption. They just need to find where the beam is being generated on their side of the wormhole, 
and once they knock that out, everything will return to normal. On the other side of the wormhole in the alien craft, the fight between the Starfleeters and the other Siders is not going too well. All of the Starfleet crew are surrounded by the aliens and being corralled into a small knot of people. Some are standing, and others are lying on the ground. Just as they are about to be permanently knocked out, a transporter effect appears around them and they vanish. They reappear aboard a smaller alien craft that was commandeered by Riker, Kira, and Dax. Luckily, Dax was able to master the alien controls and save everyone. Back on Bajor, the government is being pressured to close the wormhole forever to stop the climate changes that started when the wormhole went amok. Sisko pleads with the leader to hold off for a bit longer and assures them that they're working as fast as they can. In Ops, Brian and, um, in Ops O'Brien informs the captains that a ship is exiting the wormhole. They tense, expecting a fight, but it ends up being the away team in the small vessel that we saw earlier. Once both crews are reunited, they all compare notes. Odo informs them that he noticed one of the aliens had Cardassian food on his face when they were fighting, so they suspect that the Cardassians are in league with these outsiders. Table banners are not enough to prove this, however. Riker then recalls that there was a Cardassian outpost at the edge of Cardassian space. Perhaps this is where the beam is originating. O'Brien is able to soup up the sensors, and he confirms that the beam is indeed coming from that outpost. A standing ovation for everyone's ingenuity and problem-solving skills. The Enterprise heads to the station, with every major cast member from both series in tow. I personally was kind of surprised that Quark was not on the bridge at this point. O'Brien works the transporter controls for old time's sake, and he beams Riker, Data, Odo, Kira, and Worf to the outpost. Once they arrive, they are immediately attacked by Cardassians. A huge fight commences, but Odo and Worf are eventually able to knock out the beam. They all return to the Enterprise, courtesy of O'Brien's nimble fingers. Mission accomplished, the Enterprise heads back to Deep Space Nine. On the other side of the wormhole, the outsider aliens notice that the beam has stopped and that the wormhole is reforming. Fearing repercussions from the Federation, the alien armada warps away, never to be seen again. Later, Picard, Sisko, and Gull Adner have a three-way conference call from each's respective vessels. The Cardassian continues to stress that he knows nothing of the outpost being used to create that beam, but he will look into it. In the promenade, the finest two crews of all of Starfleet bid farewell. Odo thanks Troy for keeping his relationship with her mother secret from the rest of her friends. Dax and Riker head off to have those drinks that they were promising each other last issue. As they walk away, arms linked together... Dax asks him how much does he know about trills. He assures her that he knows more than she thinks. Sisko and Picard part ways with a shake of the hand and mutual respect for each other. I guess Sisko's hatred for Lucutus is indeed a thing of the past at this point. In Quark's bar, Geordi reminds the barkeep that the Dabo table is still rigged. He threatens to contact Odo and then he leaves. When Rom asks his brother if they're really going to fix it, Quark asks why, since the Enterprise is leaving and they may never see them again. The end. <laughs> wow. Two great crews that are great and smiling a lot together. Good feelings all around. Except for Quark, maybe. And Geordi. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. I would have rather seen Jordy and, and O'Brien part ways. Because, I mean, earlier in the series, Jordy was offering O'Brien a job. O'Brien was kind of missing being on the Enterprise. So I wanted some sort of resolution to that story, not a callback to the Dabo table not being working right. Yeah. Well, I, and I guess it just comes down to 
I think that whole thing about O'Brien wanting to maybe, maybe thinking about leaving was just filler. It's just a reason to get him in the story a bit and Keiko, and it was just filler. It really wasn't wasn't important. Right. Well, I, I agree, but I also think that you know he loves it on Deep Space Nine, even though it gives him a you know it's a pain in the neck. Right. But it's a, the challenge that he loves so much. <clears throat> right. So I would have just liked some sort of acknowledgement that you know he definitely would not go back to Enterprise, um, right. even though you know he does go there for a little bit to work the transporter again for no right. reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like on um, First Contact when when the uh, Defiant is damaged and Worf just beams over and takes up his uh, posting at the... Uh, at Ops. At Ops, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nemesis, well, or no, wait. Insurrection does the same thing, right? They're going to a wedding or something and yep. then they just turn a corner. Hey, Worf, what are you doing here? Why are you not at your post? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in both cases, they had to try to, to, to get Worf into the movie. Come on, come on, come on. And that's why why uh, Michael Doran is one of the more uh, wealthy ex-next-gen uh, people. Is he really? Yes, because he's been in so many things. Two long-running series. He's been also shoehorned into the movies, which you really had to have that. Um, well, yeah. He's just been in a lot of stuff. Well, he was even in... Undiscovered Country. So they even shoehorned him into Kirk. Oh, right. Good point. Good point. Yeah, in the in the Taz movie time mm-hmm. frame. Yeah, he's been a lot of things. It pays to play a Klingon. <laughs> a very popular one. Exactly. So. I don't think Christopher Lloyd did nearly as well. <laughs> Kirk! Give me Nemesis! Yes. Yes, not not, Genesis, not quite not Nemesis or Genesis, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, you know, it, a lot of these things just seem a little forced. We, you, know, when, you have too many characters. I thought we spoke about this in the last issue that talked about this series, and and it continued to be that. I think between that and the fact that everybody's so smiling and happy, and those are about the things that that annoyed me the most about the story. Right. Um, yeah, but you know, it was good. It was good seeing everybody together. Just. Yeah. The, the aliens turned out to be no big deal in the end. <laughs> really? I mean, really. It, they, they, they had this big armada of ships coming. It's like, oh, my God. You know? and, uh, and, in the, and at the end, after they're caught and they're able to open up the wormhole, they, uh, the commander of the, of the aliens say, hey, you know, we're no match for them in open warfare. We got to so get like, out of here. Exactly. So it's like, oh, my God, you guys are wimps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in a fleet that big, you you would think that they would show back up again, but to my knowledge, they never do. This was yeah. a, a one-trick pony. Right, and they had an absolute huge number of ships. Mm-hmm. And and what they have a few runabouts in the Enterprise. Right. So uh, you know, on on our side, so it's like, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Right, and they had advanced technology. They had the stasis ray where there you go, just the stasis thing, exactly. Now, of course, they they overrode that and they made it blow up on that but one they, ship. But you would think that they've the only other got, ships could have exactly. It too. They've only got one of those. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. It it, it seemed like a a miss. Holes galore. It's kind of like uh, in the '90s, uh, Marvel and DC did this big crossover, mm-hmm. and in it they created this new character that was co-owned by both of them it was you know this big bad guy that's so bad that it's bringing the two universes together mm-hmm. and and you know it was this huge you know a, a real threat and then of course they could never use that character again neither one of them can because they both own the same they both own that character right so it's kind of like like this you know you have this potentially a great villain or a great race of uh, that could be a, a threat to you at a later date Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll probably never see them again because I'm sure DC writers and Marvel, uh, Malibu writers both claim ownership of them. I don't know. Right. And I'm just making this stuff up, so don't call me on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but didn't you think that these guys looked a little bit? And did we mention? I don't know if we mentioned this last time or not, but it seems like they looked a bit like the what what Krell, you know, from the Marvel oh. universe. Okay. No, I don't think we did talk about that. 
Well, they they do kind of look like Krell. They're Krells, right? There's it's, right. it's an E in the middle, not an I. Right. Right. Okay. So they kind of look like the Krells to me. I could see that. Where yeah, say blue instead of green. Right. And they do have a lot more like like shoulder kind of stuff going on. You know the, these aliens, like, like the Cardassians do. Exactly, yeah. they're they're rather Cardassian-like in, in that in that respect. But other than that, they look like Krells. Right, I can see that. Yeah. So what's the deal with the admiral being alive? What? <laughs> I call foul. They did everything. They did everything possible to make you think that the admiral was dead at the end of uh, what last issue. Right. And it's like, hello, oh, I'm not dead yet. It's like, oh, that's oh, that sucks. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, in fact, I I didn't even notice that they were there until much later. I had to go back and reread the issue because I thought yeah. they left them on that ship. I thought yeah. that uh, O'Brien or um, Dax didn't beam them over. And then I had I'd... to go back and reread it, and I'm like, oh yeah. yeah, they are there, just in the background. Right. Yeah. No, it was it was a it was a bait and switch. Yeah, didn't like that. Another thing that annoys me is grinning Riker. <laughs> he's like, in this issue, he's just grinning like a fool. Yeah, uh, he's a happy and, guy. And after the third time, I'm reading the comic, and I, and, I, and I run into the third time going, what the heck is this going on? He looks like an idiot on page 14. <laughs> so he's just, hi, everybody, I'm Jethro Bodine. Forget about it. <laughs> he looks like an idiot. And then, and then I go back and look and see he was grinning like an idiot earlier. So I went yeah. back and for, in page oh, page yep, seven. oh page seven exactly, page ten, and then page fourteen, and then later on page twenty. Twenty. He's just like yeah. oh, life's wonderful. And then, and then Troy on page fifteen, after they're able to. Uh, well, is, is that when they, they knocked out that outpost, Cardassian yeah, they outpost? Didn't, they didn't knock anything out. O'Brien was just able to soup up the sensors so that they could find it. Well, but, or but, that they could confirm Riker's suspicions that that might be where it's coming oh, from. Oh, okay, that's it. So they hadn't then, gone there yet and shot out the emitter. Right. Okay, yeah. so so at that point, when they figure all that out, Troy looks like an idiot. <laughs> I mean... She she she's just smiling and she's got her she's like clapping with her hands. Oh my God, we're so bitching! It's like oh God. Right? Yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to uh, get the feeling that they're all clapping because Jordy's like, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Miles O'Brien, the man who can make silk purse out of a sow's ear. Oh, yeah. Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I know it was stupid. Yeah. It's uh, like no. And and the little bit of artificial conflict we had at the beginning between Riker and Kira, and then between Cisco and Picard, it's like it all devolves into a mutual admiration society at the end. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, because Kira was able to show off her flying prowess in this one, and I guess that makes it all good. Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, I, I guess people like nice, like happy ending stories too. It's just, you know, right. I yeah. like a little meat to things, and there was so little. The little meat that was there, they took it away from you. The admiral what? smoking corpse. Oh no, he's alive. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, and then when they actually go to the um, the outpost. The Enterprise gets attacked. I left this out of the synopsis just because it was so inconsequential to the story. Yeah. But the Enterprise actually does get attacked and is able to resolve it off screen without any real meat to that story. It was just like, oh, we're being attacked. Go ahead and beam down. And then they beam up and it's like, oh, yeah, we we blew them up. (laughs) We blew them up real good. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't understand why Cisco, Dax, everybody would go on this away mission when you know the wormholes still being all crazy, Bajor's being destroyed by all these yep. you know natural disasters. Yeah, that seems a good time to just go on a field trip with Picard. Yeah, with all your senior staff. Good. <laughs> That's why I <laughs> joked at that point. I was expecting to see Quark on the bar. Would you like some tea, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> Earl Grey. Yes. Well. Anyways. So. Uh, so who was the other? Okay, so Gul Dukat talking to 
Cisco. Okay, I get that. So who was the other Cardassian that was talking to Picard? Uh, at the end? Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought they were all talking to each other. I I don't I think those are two separate gulls and or I I know Gull Dakot's a gull. I assume the other guy was. Yeah, the other guy is Gull Adner. Adner, okay. Ad, Adder, Gull Adner. And I don't know who he is. First time I Oh, heard. okay. Okay, fine. Because it was like it, okay, so is this like a regular Cardassian that Picard deals with that I don't remember or something? No, and, not that I'm aware of. And of course the whole joke is that they're both acting like, I don't know anything about that. We'll have to look into that. And so sure. uh, you know, so the parallel conversations ending up being the same kind of thing in the end. Uh, you know, both captains, or commander and captain, knowing that, uh, you know, Cardassians are behind it. They call them on it, but okay, but don't try it again. So yeah, well that that changes a little bit of my synopsis because I I wrote the synopsis thinking that it was the same goal on both both uh, view screens, but right. you're right. One one could be Ducat, and one is this other guy. But they never call him Ducat, so I don't. I guess you're just supposed to recognize him. Well, I definitely recognize him. Yeah. I mean, it, that looks like Gal Ducat. Yeah, it although, does. Although there definitely was a Cardassian picture that was obviously not anybody of rank who looked a lot like Galdicott also. And I think that was in this issue, too. Or right, was well, there's a, a, there's a Cardassian with the outside cider aliens, and he kind of looked like um, – uh, I thought he looked a lot like uh, – uh, what's his name? Garrick on, uh, on page 11. Yeah. I was like, what's Garrick doing there? Because that kind of looks like him, but obviously it's not. Yeah, and I was thinking that guy might have been the guy that Picard was talking to, but it was hard to say. Yeah, it's hard to say because it's a, an extreme yeah. close-up of his face. Right. And he, he's obviously still with the Outsiders. He never he never comes back to the other side of the wormhole. So we'll never see him again. Well, how do you know? Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. And because so, we don't know him, it's like, huh, no big deal. Right. Now, as far as the cover, did you agree with me that this was the the best of the four, or did you have an opinion? Oh, I, I, I do like this cover. It's a good cover. I did not spot it as being the Doctor, the Tom Baker Doctor Who opening kind of thing, but now that you mention it, yes, yep, I can see that. Right. So, I mean, the, the wormhole in place of the time vortex, but it right. still has the, you know, the diamond logo cut out. Right, the brown one. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought I liked it. Lots of yep. color, lots of uh, you know, the headshots are just normal headshots, but right, a lot of airbrushed kind of art. Yeah, like maybe it was done on oh I don't know velvet, black velvet. Yeah, the only part of that cover that I don't like is the wagon wheel look of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and and that is that is Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's I, just I, I know yeah. it is. It just yeah. is a top down view. Right. You can't see any of the spy, uh, you know, the the spires or anything. So mm-hmm. it looks right. like a wagon wheel. Yep. Hey, right. Anyways. Anyways, uh, let's see. All right. So this is gonna just prove my uh, ignorance and grammar. So please forgive me. But on page twenty-two, when Ricard's having that conversation with with his goal. He says, I am pleased to hear that that this was not an official, officially sanctioned operation. Is that correct? Do you put two that's in one sentence like that? Well, of course not. That's, that's, that, 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 that is obviously a typo. Are you sure that that's a typo? I think so. <laughs> I am pleased to hear that this was not an officially sanctioned operation. There's no reason to have two that's in there. That was obviously a typo. That's what I thought. Yeah. Glad to be validated. I can I can write my junior high grammar teacher. Ah, she'll be proud. I got one right. Yay! <laughs> yeah, a typo that made it past the uh, the validation people. It, not only one editor, but two. Yeah. Margaret Clark and the Malibu guy, which his name eludes me at the moment. Yeah. And Mark quite Lucia. quite frankly, these days, I would think something like that probably couldn't happen. 
Because I bet it, they do all this kind of typesetting and, you know, I bet they get all this stuff into digital formats. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That probably have spell checker or something on them. Who knows? But I'm, I'm sure that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. Oh, well. And as far as the little farewells, the Odo and Troy farewell, I, mm-hmm. I actually liked, mm-hmm. you know, because he does have a link to her, you know, through her mom. Yes. So, and eventually he's going to marry her mom. So yeah. that's going to be her <laughs> stepdad. <laughs> so, you know, I liked those few panels and I actually liked, uh, you know, Riker and Dax going off to have a drink and. She asking him, well, "How much do you know about trills?" I, I thought that was a good little joke. Yeah, that, too. that was good. That was in. That was a nice end joke. I, I like that one. So those two, I, I liked. I, I thought. I still don't buy that Cisco would be that chummy with Picard after all this. What happened to his wife and yeah. the Saratoga and all that other stuff? Right. But yeah, maybe he's he's more professional than I I am. If you turn to a bad guy, Ken, and kill my wife, I'm not going to be happy with you, ever. (laughs) Even when you turn back to a good guy. And even though it really, you could have no control over it. I know, but I'm just petty that way. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, well, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. (laughs) Don't let the Borg or Cybermen take you over and start (laughs) killing people. (laughs) Exactly. So, in the opening page, I thought it was a little odd how, of the three characters pictured, Data... Odo and Troy, that it was Data that is the one that looks most emotionally unhappy. I think he's just supposed to be looking down, not necessarily unhappy. He is trying to set that rifle on overload. Right. Which, by the way, okay, okay. So let let me let me finish this point first. Focus on one thing. I still I still think even though he's looking down, obviously messing with the rifle or pistol, whatever. I think he still looks incredibly pouty and unhappy compared to the other two. As a matter of fact, Odo is like almost, hey, this is like a game. Because <laughs> I'm Mr. Fantastic, and I'll just uh, do something really cool here any minute. And uh, anyway, I just thought right. that was a little odd. I agree uh, with you. The guy with no emotion showing the most emotion, uh, facially anyway. Right. Okay, let's talk about that diversion Data did. Yes. Number one, a vertical column of light was emitted by this thing that didn't hurt anybody. I mean, it may have knocked some people around a little bit, but it didn't really right. hurt anybody. Very nice, Data. You're a nice guy, not a killer. The other thing is, Data was able to do that because he knew the gun manufacturer of the weapon, uh, a weapon used by an alien race that we never saw before from the Gamma Quadrant, uh-huh. and saying it's a common one. <laughs> so, it's like the Federation as far as I know, is unaware of this alien race. Right. So I'm just, okay, yes, they could get the weapons from some other Gamma Quadrant species or something. Mm -hmm. It just seemed like a bit of a stretch. I agree. I'm only going to go with it because, you know, they have dealt with other aliens from the Gamma Quadrant, and maybe they all buy their guns at, you know, Guns R Us. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you know, the... Data read up on the specs when they, they went on the internet. And yeah, internet. He's aware of them. Yeah, and of course, if he would have read them once, he would have remembered them. Of course. Because he is a robot. But yeah, as far as it exploding and, you know, if you look at the explosion on the ground, it looks mm-hmm. like it's actually coming up from the, you know, the floor below them. The way the uh, the ground is being, you know, puckered yep. outwards. Yep. So and it kind of looks like slime. So at first I thought, well, was it some sort of like, you know, you Nickelodeon know. thing? What was it? <laughs> exactly. Or yeah, I don't know. I thought, well, maybe it was supposed to be some sort of capture beam or something that he had it to explode. I don't know. I, I didn't really get what that panel was until I actually read the comment about how he was able to adjust it just in the right way. Right. Yeah, it was silly. And then, you know, then the big fight starts, and again, Odo turns into a giant monster, tentacly monster creature. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of cool when he starts, and the mouth is in his chest, and then it forms around him, and then he turns into the tentacle monster, but I don't don't buy it. Yeah. 
Don't buy it. He didn't do it in the show. He shouldn't do it here. Exactly. But you can do it cheaper in a comic <laughs> than you could in a, in a TV show. So, whatever. I, I understand. Maybe part of the reason that Data didn't uh, turn into the $6 million man very often. Right. Which he could have, easily. He could have. So, I got a question. Hmm? What could Bajor have done to close the wormhole? They have no... They don't have any means to close the wormhole, yet Cisco saying, oh, don't do anything rash. Just give us a couple more right. minutes. Yep. And I'm reading that going, what are you talking about? The most he could do was say, hey, Cisco, will you close the wormhole? <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how the Bajor would have been able to do anything. Right. And I think we've talked about this before, but what kind of control do they have over the wormhole again? Well, I mean, I guess they could blow it up. I mean, we've seen where they... Well, there's been a lot of uh, issues that have, you know, talked about, oh, somebody can close the wormhole with with explosives or something. Right. Which I always or, thought or was a, pretty ridiculous. Or a but... comet, comet made out of, you know, nuclear material. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, it another piece of artificial tension to throw into the mix to keep it interesting, I suppose. Right. All right, and then my last comment is I thought Cardassian omelet on somebody's face is being the the linking factor of, oh, Cardassians must be involved. <laughs> but Detective Odo, if anyone would have been observant and been able to do a chemical analysis to recognize the egg, it would be him. Right. I mean, they already know that these aliens – could shapeshift to look like Cardassians. They've obviously been over here on this side of the wormhole. You don't think they could have stopped by, you know, the grocery store on the way back and bought a, a dozen or so Cardassian eggs? Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. Yep. Anything else on your side? Not on this one. I am I am commented out. All right. Well, you want to jump into Terok Nor? I would love to do that. Because something that's interesting about this comic is it talks about the origin of one of the centerpiece characters of DS9. Which is, of course, DS9 itself. Which is known by a different name back in the old days when it was being constructed. So, Malibu, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, One Shot, number zero. Yes, zero. And the title is Tarek Noor. The published date is January 1995. Writer is Mark A. Altman. Artist is Trevor Goring. Letterer is Patrick Owsley. Assistant editor is Clarissa Manasala. Editor is Mark Panacea. The cover shows the surface of Bajor with scattered people in robes looking up at a huge statue of a figure of a tall, thin woman. In the background, on the surface, are more modern-looking, taller buildings in the distance. In the purple sky, we see DS9 is under construction, looming large over Bajor. Of course, back then, the station went by a different name, a Cardassian name, Terok Nor. The story opens on Bajor, in an art museum where Jadzia Dax and Dr. Julian Bashir are taking in the exhibits and chit-chatting. In the museum, not too far from Julian and Dax, a teacher is showing her pupils a huge statue of Charna Sar. The kids, apparently, had not heard of her, which surprises the teacher. She remedies that by telling them the story of this famous freedom fighter but only if they promise to tell their children. Charna's story is forever linked to the Cardassian named Kotan Darak, the teacher says, and the space station named Tarak Nor, which guards the wormhole. Kotan arrives at a prison named Gilra. The commandant welcomes him, but is perplexed by what this high-ranking citizen would want at a prison. Kotan asks to see the Bajoran known as Charnasar. The Commandant tells Kotan she will be executed in the morning. As Kotan and the Commandant approach Charna's tiny cell, comprising of a single, translucent cylinder coming from the ground and rising up to the ceiling, 
Darek says she will be leaving with him on his ship and to make preparations. Darek converses with the Bajoran prisoner, who is naked save for a red piece of cloth that might have been a shirt at one time. Despite the obvious scars and more recent whip wounds on her body, she is still defiant towards her visitor. She says she has nothing left to lose. Over the objections of the Commandant, she is taken away on Kotan's ship. While flying over a major Bajoran city, Kotan makes her his offer. He needs her help to build a space station and to oversee Bajoran mining. Since she was Bajor's greatest architect, her help is needed in the design. She can also act as liaison between himself and the Bajoran workers who will construct most of it. She declines because she would be helping the Cardassians to exploit her people, and she won't do that. Kotan says the station will allow increased automation of the mining process, and that will help alleviate the burden on her people. She finally relents when Kotan threatens to fire on a historic building that is a repository of large amounts of Bajoran history and culture. Later, they arrive at the partially built space station. Enough is complete to occupy comfortably. Sar criticizes it for being typically Cardassian, form over function. They tour what will eventually be the promenade. Kotan shows Sar to her quarters that are close to him and away from the other Bajorans. Alone in her new quarters, she familiarizes herself with the room and the computer system, which was provided for her use. She goes over the schematics for the new station. She has blocked access to information about weapons, but finds she has access to most other details about the station. She studies the air filtration system in particular. In his office, Kotan reports to Gul Jakar that station construction is on schedule. The Gull is happy about that, but tells Kotan his decision to use a known terrorist as his liaison to the Bajoran workers is ill-advised. He tells Kotan he will allow it for now, but for him to execute Sar when the construction is complete. Kotan says he will. The Gull terminates the connection. The next morning, Kotan and Sar are walking through the station discussing changes Sar has made to the ventilation system designs. Sar explains she improved airflow into the ore processing area that would benefit the Cardassian guards. Kotan says he is fine with Sar making changes, but that he is monitoring her changes. A female Bajoran worker helping a ragged-looking male worker turns out to be someone Sar went to school with. Sar calls out to her. Hester is short with Sar and makes it clear she is not happy with how she is helping the Cardassians. Word has apparently spread among the workers. Sar is unhappy with how her new job is being interpreted by her people. Later she makes contact with her ex-friend Hester and tries to explain herself. Hester says that if she really wants to help her people, Scene cuts to later, when a supply ship on approach to the station is destroyed by several Bajoran fighter ships. Soon after that, Kotan strikes Sar for her betrayal and has her taken to level 13 where she is stripped and hung. Hung up by her arms, that is. Kotan joins her eventually, and rather than executing her, asks her to promise not to destroy the station until after its construction is complete. Sar is surprised, but agrees. Later she is taken down, cleaned up, and brought to Kotan's quarters. He says they must accelerate construction. Kotan's move to save Sar yet again has eroded his standing with the Obsidian Order. His enemies will have all they need to move against him. Kotan says he and Sar share a common love of building something wonderful out of nothing. They must complete the station as the pinnacle of both of their careers. One month later the station is complete. Gull Dakar comes to the station and relieves Kotan of his command. The Gull is now commander of the station. He orders Kotan to have all the Bajoran workers on the station assembled in Cargo Bay 6. Kotan asks why and is eventually told they all know too much about the station's sensitive systems. Their knowledge would be used against the station and they can't have that. Kotan leaves to carry out his orders. Later in the control room, Gul Dakar is standing with his son, 
telling him to watch and learn. The gull moves to press a control button that will open the cargo bay doors and will flush all the workers out into space. Hundreds of them. The gull tells his son it is more efficient than shooting them and it allows them to claim it was a construction accident that will hopefully avoid possible sanctions from the Federation. Before he can press the door control, a Bajoran commando unit breaks into the room and ends up killing Gull Dakar and many guards. Kotan ends the skirmish when he threatens to press the button and kill the Bajoran workers. The commandos drop their weapons. Days later, Sar is strung up again, but this time her clothes are left on. Kotan goes to her. He tells her that he must execute her now. Sar thanks Kotan for saving her people and says them being saved is the important thing. Kotan says the boy whose father Sar killed now hates Bajorans even more than ever and will likely grow up to perpetuate the hate and violence. Sar says someday Kotan must tell people of what they achieved together, a Cardassian and a Bajoran working together to create rather than destroy. He says he may do that someday, but for now he will make her death quick. He kills her. The narrative comes back to the present as the teacher completes her telling of Sar's story to the children. She tells them Charna Sar was executed and Derek disappeared shortly afterward. A year later, after bombing the Obsidian Order's headquarters on Bajor, Kotan's journals that told the whole story were delivered to Vedek Kalsta, who made the whole story part of the public record of Bajor. Dax and Jillian, who listened to the whole story, commented on the irony of how Terok Nor was originally built to oppress the Bajoran people, but now is ultimately playing a role in saving them. The end. Still not under their control, though. <laughs> no. But second in command, what do you want? Right. I just think it's funny that the Cardassians used it to oppress them, and then the Federation used it to help them. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, without the uh, without the Federation there, the Cardassians could try to take over the planet again. True. They could. They could. They've expressed wanting uh, Tarek Noor back before. Right. So now we know the origin story. So this is the origin story of Deep Space Nine. Right. That's why it's called Tarek Noor number zero. Ooh. Yeah. And and like I mentioned before we started recording, zero, zero, zero. It's like, okay, engineers start and mathematicians start counting from zero, but... This is the first comic that I've noticed that had number zero. Right. Have you seen one with zero before? Yeah, oftentimes they'll do a zero as a prequel. So Prequel? Okay. Yeah. So that's the only reason why I think maybe yeah. they named it zero. Well, this is kind of a prequel. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it is a one-shot, so why they numbered it zero and not one, That's that's the only explanation I can come up with. Right. Usually if you have like an ongoing series and you want to do a prequel to the ongoing series, they'll do a zero issue. Mm-hmm. Cool. So how'd you like those squalid, cylindrical, transparent cells they kept Sarin? At the beginning? Uh, At the beginning. Yeah, the little tubes. The little tubes. <laughs> Where you have to just sit in naked eating dead rats? Uh, yes. As yeah, snacks. it was nice. It was nice. That... I have never seen a prison like that before depicted. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's really depressing. I mean, if you're if you're a bunch of jerks, if your jailers are really a bunch of jerks, yeah, that's pretty much the way you'd want to uh, – that would be effective. Yeah, it would definitely deter you from doing anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, if she put her arms out, stretched, it would probably touch both sides of that cylinder. But she can't do that because then it would show off her nudeness. Which happens repeatedly. Yeah, well, not by her accord. Well, no, but, you know, like every time they string her up, and they've strung her up multiple times, she's naked until the end. In the end, she's not. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, they even make a joke out of it when he wakes her up and she's uh, not quite ready and asks him to leave while she gets dressed. And he's like, oh, I've seen it all before. <laughs> right. Bajoran women don't do it for me. Or I forgot what he's, or he says, uh, Bajoran anatomy doesn't do it for me or something like that. And I'm Right, right. She's like, yeah, I think you're missing the point. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I don't know why they, <laughs> they felt the need to uh, depict her in that uh, state so often, strung right. up and naked, but eh, they did it. Yeah. But that, that little, to your point, that cell is pretty nasty, and the fact that there's a dead rat next to her, half-eaten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, I don't know how the rat would have gotten into that little tube for her Agreed. to kill, unless that is actually what they gave her to eat. Yep. But either way, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. But the uh, Cardassians are not nice people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got a question about the whole timing of this and, and the fact that this is a legend and it's been passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. My understanding is that the space station's only a year, about 20 years older than season one of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So this happened 20 years before season one of, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It yeah. doesn't really sound like it would have enough time to become this multi-generational story. Yeah. Plus, by the time we are presented Deep Space Nine, and especially when O'Brien is talking about it, it sounds like it's either a very badly made place or a very old place. Right. And usually I get the impression it's old. And I would say older than 20 years, I mean, for a space station. That's the impression you get. Uh, I agree. It's it's a little ambiguous. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. It seems like it should be an older place than than it seems to be if it's only 20 years old. Right. Yep. But this this comic, again, enforces the idea that it's much older than that. Yep. And also the idea that the kids didn't even remember her. Right. Um, I mean, because they, they haven't been at peace for too long with the Cardassians. So agreed. It's not like, you know it's one generation off or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, how, yeah. And this, and so if what we think is right, the Kardashians would have been occupying Bajor for a very long time. Before this. Hmm. Okay. So if we think, if we think deep space nine is as old as we think it is, then they would have had to be occupying more than 20 years. Right. You know, uh, Bajor. Right. Right. And I just think, that's an awful long time for an occupation, but you know whatever. But uh, but the fact that the kids don't even remember or had never heard of this woman, I mean, she sounds like she's pretty important. So of course, if you ask uh, my Xbox playing sons about you know things, <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't be able to answer either. But it just seems yeah, it seems like the time frames a little wacky. Right. Yeah. So I, I was always under the impression that. The- the space station was not all that old, just about 20 years old. But right. you're, I think I read that in a book somewhere. Okay, yeah, because I uh, never really knew. I, I don't, you know, I don't know how old it was supposed to be, but. And did you know they built two of them? So this oh, doesn't, I did not this doesn't necessarily talk about that one. Oh, interesting. I know there were two Babylon Five stations, but oh no. <laughs> oh yeah, there were mul- or were there three? There were multiple ones. Mm. One just disappeared. I need to watch that show. Yes, and and eventually you find out where it disappeared too, but well Linear into the universe? series. Where all the nope. good people are bad and all the bad people are good. Nope. Nope. Uh, anyway, different franchise. Yeah. So I didn't know that. So there were two Deep Space Nines. I did not, or two Torek Nors. Well, there was in in the expanded universe stuff. Oh, okay. Okay, well. I, I I don't know if there was an actual episode where it had the other one. There might have been. I don't know. Okay, well, I never heard of it before, but I thoroughly liked Deep Space Nine. It's just that I, I will readily admit that I didn't watch it as closely as some of the other series. Right. So that could have happened, but I don't remember hearing that before. Right. I know that it, it, 
in the post season seven books, Deep Space Nine takes some really, really heavy damage and they actually cannibalize the other Deep Space Nine. For parts. For parts, right. And so I can't what? remember I'm pretty sure that, that it's actually referenced in the book in the in the T V series towards the end, like in season seven, but I might be wrong. It's been a while. So where's this other station hanging out? I mean, we're, we got to get off of this back of the book. But I just got to ask, where, where is this other station? I'm thinking that it was actually in Cardassian space, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Okay, but that's just another space station. I mean, that was never next to Bajor, was it? No, no, no. But it okay. was the exact same station. Okay, well, that's enough. That's enough talk about that. <laughs> We don't want to go down that rabbit hole too long. Right. Yeah, actually, it was in an episode of uh, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Oh, okay. It was called Impaknor. Impaknor, okay. Yeah. Cool. There you go. That's there the sister go. station. Cool. So, obviously, it was made after this Deep Space Nine, or this Taraknor. Well, that's what you would be led to believe. If well, by this comic. This right. Because supposedly... Yep. Sar contributed mightily to aspects of the design. She sure did. Yeah, yeah. She made it aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Well, isn't that nice? And I'm looking at it going like, I don't I don't know if I think it's aesthetically pleasing, but eh. mm. I mean, do you think it's a aesthetically pleasing space station? Yeah, it's the best-looking wagon wheel in space I've ever seen. Uh, true. It beats no, the 2001 I, I, a Space Odyssey one. I always like the Deep Space Nine. Cool. I do think it looks cool. Cool. Yeah, so I personally think the Coton... First off, I think what's what's kind of cool about this, uh, this issue is it's very character-driven. Mm-hmm. And we've got, obviously, two main characters. I mean, you can try to count Deep Space Nine also, but really it's about these two people, the Bajoran and the Cardassia. Right. And personally, I thought Kotan was a lot more interesting character than Sar. So uh, Sar was heroic and tough and and all that kind of stuff, and and that's great. But I thought Kotan was a lot more interesting. Um, well, his motives were interesting because you never quite knew how sincere he was. Is he really doing this to help Bajor? Like he's he's acting no. out, he or is gonna... he really doing it just because he well, wants he wants a monument to? say i built that well that's a very good point because there are times when you're thinking oh this is kind of like uh, schindler's list and then there's other times you're thinking oh this guy's just a jerk who wants to uh you know you you'll build something he's just a guy who's got to build things you know bigger and bigger it's my career mm-hmm. but he does so- do some things where he does show some concern for the bajorans so right. yeah he, he's back and forth so I had made some comments about his motivation to creating something out of nothing, and that also was cool because it kind of gave he and her some common ground on which to build a relationship, uh, a professional relationship. At the beginning, I thought, well, is it going to be some kind of romance thing here? But no, that apparently doesn't happen. We never see it anyway. Um, right. So I still question that even at the end. Yeah. Yeah, could be. They They don't necessarily have to show you everything, don't they? Right. Or do they? And I also thought it was kind of interesting. Another kind of interesting thing is at the end, when Sar kills her, I mean, I'm sorry, when Sar is killed by Kotan, I thought it was really, really interesting because he killed her pretty readily, or so it appeared outwardly. It's like, I, right. you know, I got to kill you now. You know, don't want to do it, but, you know, got to kill you. I'll make it quick. And he does it. Patu. Um... Well, I don't think he had much of a choice, though. No, but still. Especially if there was a relationship. It might have appeared outwardly a little bit more tougher than it was. Or right. than it appeared in the comic, anyway. So, very interesting. A uh, a mystery man, to be sure. Right. Yeah, I I liked his character, and I, I do still wonder if they had a thing. But I also... I I liked how they weren't clear on whether he was a good guy or bad guy. Right. Right. I mean, he did keep stringing her up naked. <laughs> so he can't be that nice of a guy. Yeah, and he hit her pretty roughly after that first attack of that cargo ship. 
Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, he's a Kardashian in the end. It's like it's like that old story about the uh with the scorpion getting the ride on the back of the frog, you know. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. It's my nature. I'm a jerk. <laughs> Sorry. But you're going to die too. That's right. Sorry. Anyway. That was kind of interesting. I do like that they actually mentioned that when she's says something about Kardashians are dishonest and he's like, "Well, that's true. We are. You're just going to have to live with it." Yeah, exactly. And 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 they are kind of are they supposed to be like viper are they supposed to be like cobras is that what they're supposed to be like or are they supposed to be like scorpions because their ships kind of look like scorpions but but you're thinking because their necks are kind of fanned yeah. out that they might look like cobras yep. I don't know yeah. I don't know that's what I mentioned the the little the thing I read when they first made the Cardassians. Uh, they somebody was like, you always put stuff on their faces. Why don't you ever do anything with their necks? Right. And then uh, the actor, I don't remember his name, who plays Gold Dukat, mm-hmm. played the first Cardassian in Next Generation. He wasn't Gold Dukat, but yeah. he was the same actor. Right. And they were just like, he has this really long neck. We should do something with his neck. And that's where the whole flayed out neck looking thing came from. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And somebody challenged him to put a spoon on on an alien's face and and they did that ah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll make it work damn it right right i'll use your spoon idea as a joke but then we'll do something with this guy's name right <laughs> so so what'd you think uh, of the artwork sorry uh i thought it was good yeah i liked it it's different yeah i mean th- there were parts of it that looked kind of rough like maybe that first panel with jazia and bashir i thought they looked kind of rough but then, very quickly afterward, on the same page, there was a better close-up. Um, right. And so, you know, I like it. Yeah. When those ninjas or whatever showed up to save the people in the oh, right. airlock, right. they looked really crudely drawn, I thought. Yeah. And that, that whole sequence was a little off-putting to me. Yeah. Well, just because it was so badly drawn or, or simply drawn? I don't know. Just, you know, yeah, it was simply drawn with the, the shading. You could actually see the pencil strokes and things like yeah. that. It just, it just, I don't know. Yeah, and on that one page where it shows, which, I forgot which Cardassian that was, but, uh, so this is on page 24, and right across from one of the masked figures, Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought the Cardassian who is like going, oh, you know, the mouth is open and stuff. I thought that right. was very, very roughly drawn. Yep. Yep. Same page. Yeah. Right. Same page right across. I thought that was not good. And the page before that showed Gull, oh, what was his name? Gull, nah, whatever his name was, the one that took over. I thought mm-hmm. I thought he was very roughly drawn, too. But... Yeah. yeah, yeah, they had a lot of that. Well, okay, speaking of drawing, what about that Cargo Bay 6? That is one huge room. <laughs> right, and it has an actual 6 on it, so that's kind of weird. Oh, where's the 6? I'm looking at this picture to see if it's Look six. where it has the balloon that says, My Bajoran friends, we thank you for your oh, help. Oh, yeah, okay, so right. behind it looks like a giant 6. I think you're right about that, even though it's obscured mostly by the PA system text. That's that's drawn right. a really jaggy kind of uh, uh, oval. So they've got, for those of you that don't have the comic, they've got like probably hundreds of Bajorans, and they're all clustered in the middle of this huge room. And they're only taking up like, I don't know, maybe 5% of the total floor space that you can see. And then, and it's just a huge ceiling. So this thing obviously is meant for you to, to park a ship in. Must be, because why Why else would you have such a huge room? Well, it could be where they mine the ore. So well, they beam up the ore, and then they have to process it and stuff. You would think that you Well, that's need... a lot of ore. But, yeah, okay, could be. Because it's, it's huge. It's wide, it's long, it's really tall. So, all right. It's, right. It, surely we never saw a room even close to this size in the TV series. Right. Yeah. It just struck me. I agree. It just struck me as huge. All right. What else you got on this? Yeah, one? I guess the last thing I want to say is I, you know, I, I kind of like the the pinup of Defiant docked at Deep Space Nine at the end. Of course, it has right. nothing to do with this story, 
but it does show a little slice of the modern day, I guess. Is that why they put it there? Or just for the heck of it? Well, season four was just starting up, so that was going to be oh. where they where they started with the Defiant and ah, the Dominion. Okay, so that was supposed to pique interest in the new season. What's this ship? I... Is that the deal? <laughs> right. I, I'm assuming. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Cool. Now, mind you, it's a relatively simple picture of the Defiant. There isn't a lot of surface detail on it, but yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I like yeah. it. And that's really all I have to say. Yep, same here. Okay. My biggest my biggest beef with the issue was just that the timing didn't quite I mean they acted like it was hundreds of years ago, but then it should have only been maybe twenty years ago. Right. And uh that whole the whole concept of the Bajoran occupation always kinda is fuzzy to me. Right. Me too. But aside from that I enjoyed it. Yeah. I like this one better than the last one. Oh, Personally. you didn't like the issue four? It was I, I I mentioned my concerns with it before. <laughs> I don't want to repeat myself. Gotcha. But uh, yeah. All right. I I, I didn't. Mm, just, mm, yeah, I like this one better. <laughs> All right. Well, it, that being said, we'll go ahead and and uh, end this episode. Uh, next episode will be uh, original series DC Comics sixty seven through sixty nine. So cool. That'll be episode 127. Excellent. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, Ken, have a good one. Thank you, Donovan. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I know when this gets published, it's going to be long after Star Trek Into Darkness has been out. But again, I just saw it this weekend for the second time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just mention what you mentioned to me. That it was not top box office this past weekend, unfortunately. Wasn't even second. Was it was it third? My wife had mentioned it was, it was fourth. Uh, what, what I saw was that it was third. So uh, it went right. from first to third in its second week. Right. That's not good. That's not good. But I think it'll have more legs than the with a car chase movie. It's like, geez. It's this, this is the sixth. What, what's it called again? The Fast and, Fast and Furious, Furious Part 6. Fast and Furious Part, Part 6. Uh, I, I saw one little quick synopsis about it. Fast and Furious 6. All roads lead to explosions. It's like, <laughs> God, what a stupid looking movie. <laughs> I mean, jeez, what a stupid looking movie. Uh, I'm going to agree with you, but go saying that uh, I've never actually seen... I've seen the first one, I saw the but first I never one. saw any of the other ones. Yeah. I agree. I I don't I don't get it either. Yeah, it's like I, yeah. But a lot of people really like. Them. Well, yeah, that's right. You know, that's cool. Um, you know, Baba Gump and Gump and stuff really getting into that kind of stuff. But I I just don't <laughs> get it. I I don't get it. Anyway. Yeah, a lot of people don't get Star Trek, so well, I guess. And I I <laughs> cannot understand that at all. <laughs> Goes without saying. Right. Uh, okay, and I can understand more the Hangover Part 3. I can understand that more. The first one was great, very funny. People love comedies, but um, even though the second one kind of wasn't that good. But Fast and Furious 6? <clears throat> anyway, whatever. Well, until you go see it, Ken, uh, we shouldn't really judge no, it. No, I, I guess not. But hope you guys have all enjoyed that movie. I thought it was quite good, and it should be interesting to see where the next movie takes us, even though obviously five-year mission. But um, who will be directing it? Many unknowns about the next movie, I think. I'm, I'm looking more forward to reading the ongoing um, issues that happen after Darkness. So like issue 21 and 22 of the ongoing. And 21 just came out. Right, but we won't review it until episode 133, oh. so we still got a couple oh. couple weeks to Even wait. Even though I'll have the comic soon. So, uh, yes, that should be, because in theory, they should be on their five-year mission, right? Right. right. With, uh, well, spoiler, I guess we didn't throw that out there that we're going to talk about the movie a little bit. Well. But with, with Marcus on board. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Yeah. Seeing where they go with that. Yeah, and like, she can't get off the ship, too. I mean... Well, actually, that's going to be very interesting. Deep space exploration. 
even though there was deep space exploration on the five-year mission, they got back to Earth once in a while. They got to other colonies uh, fairly often, really. Um, so they're kind of on the ship, going to be away from Earth for a long time. So you'd better get used to there, and uh, she'd better get ready for a lot of passes from Kirk. <laughs> right, and he'll sneak in and watch her get dressed many, many more times. Oh, that, w- that was gratuitous. All right, well, we got to quit talking about it. Okay. Even though by the time we post this, it'll be old news. It might not even be in a theater anymore. You never know. Let's hope not. But All right. So uh hope everybody enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you next week. Later. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.